Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. We've got a good show tonight, man. It's been a while. I haven't talked to you. Uh, we kind of were enjoying our time off after the bowl game, I suppose. I've been reveling in the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. You uh, have been going through a, a pro- more professional transition with your job and everything. But, uh, but man, it's good to talk to you. I know. Um, I probably brought this up on the podcast before, but one of my favorite scenes is uh, in Gross Point Blank, where uh, if you're familiar with that movie, and he's, oh, yeah, he gets it. into the car and he's like, 10 years, 10 <laughs> years. That's what it feels like. Um, but in, in any case, uh, yeah, a lot's, a lot's changed. Uh, I got a seven month old now. It's been a while and, uh, going through, uh, looking for uh, a new position. So, uh, there we are, we are tardy. I will say that before I get to the toast, but we are tardy for good reason. You were on vacation. I've got a lot going on and, uh, sadly we both have lives. So, uh, let's get into the cheers. I think, uh, it's gotta be to, Buzz Williams and the basketball team. We'll get into the details of it, but putting, you know, uh, I guess up wins and and putting up uh, performances unlike Virginia Tech basketball has ever seen, even historically, uh, in terms of uh, some of the big wins. And knock on wood, things are looking good for the the tournament, and I'm excited about the ACC tournament as well. But I mean, damn, they're. They are when they come out. They've they've had some flat nights, but when they are on fire, they are on fire, and the team deserves all the recognition. Uh, and Buzz also deserves a lot of recognition for the motivation that he's instilled in those players. So, cheers to all of them. Absolutely, cheers. We're definitely going to cover the last couple weeks of basketball, but let's go over. Some lighter news and notes, some of which happened probably a month ago or more now because we haven't spoken in about 45, 50 days. I'm going to defer to you on this one. What's going on? What are, what, give, us, uh, give us an update. Uh, I think the, the, the couple notable items, obviously there's the revamp of uh, the gym. Uh, I think that's notable for a few reasons. The, the big donations that we've been getting recently for major overhauls uh, on the sports side have been uh, quite a, a testament to what Whit Babcock's been able to do. He came in and people recognized him as a really good fundraiser. And there was a little bit of delay in seeing that happen. But, you know, the Hokie donations, maybe not the number of members that some people want to see, but the donations are through the roof. Um, they're getting big one-time donations to cover most if not half the cost for a lot of the things that's going that are going on there and we know how important that is just look at clemson and, and what they spend on their facility so uh a real hat tip to what wit and there's a lot of people that do a lot of work behind that but that's really exciting and then the 10th coach with adam uh, lechenberg was promoted from director um the, or to director of player development as the 10th coach that was kind of interesting, an internal promotion for that 10th coach slot that opened up for all programs. Fuente gets his contract extension, uh, an increase to the salary pool for the assistance. And then the Jalen Scott, um, I would call it uh, mixed thoughts on what happened with him getting uh, promoted to assistant head coach and co-defensive coordinator. That was... Um, Evidently, Bud Foster's idea at the end. So those are the things that I thought were kind of hit my radar. I don't know if you have any thoughts on those. 
Yeah, uh, the Galen Scott thing is interesting, and it makes you wonder about Bud's next move. How many years is he going to stay? Will he retire? Will he go to another school? Because because it was his idea to to move up Coach Scott, it just gets your mind working just a little bit on what the future may hold. But it's also a good sign that he believes in Scott that much to maybe take the reins as a younger coach and eventually be our defensive coordinator in the future. Yeah, I think people need to recognize that when Fuente took, uh, or when Bud Foster, I guess, took that flight to go meet with Fuente and they talked about really wanting to go after a national championship, he wasn't thinking about the 2017 season, right? Bud's smarter than that. He knew that it was going to take some years. So I think we're probably safe. You know, nobody's safe, but I, I think we're probably good through, obviously, this season, 19, and then... 20 is really where you start to get the question mark. I think they're putting a lot of um, chips on the table for this 2018 and 2019 seasons. And then after that, he may say, you know, it's time to hang up the cleats. You know, we gave it a shot. We went, you know, we made a run in 2019 for the championship and we didn't get it. And I'm, I'm cool with that. We gave it a shot. Yeah, but if Quincy Patterson's in, what, his junior year and he's looking good, maybe Buzz would, Bud would stay longer. We'll talk about the recruiting class a little bit later. But let's uh, let's get into the basketball team and, and what they've been doing since the FSU game. And, in fact, I was down in the D.C. area, and me and you watched that FSU game together at the GOAT in Arlington, the newer sports bar that took over hard times. And I remember us leaving there just like, that was bad. Like, this yeah. team is, is dead in the water. Mm-hmm. And I guess two days later was the UNC game. And yep. since that game, like everything's changed. And it, it's kind of an amazing run they've been on. And they've been eight and three since that point. And what really put the exclamation point on on that record was Monday night's win over Duke. I mean, UNC was a great way to start it off, but UNC was kind of in a funky stretch. Beating Duke, and they've been really good lately. And and Duke is Duke, you know. It just it registers more with the fan base and everyone, like casual people who don't know anything about college basketball. Would be like, oh man, Virginia Tech beat Duke. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, it was incredible. I, I I took the stats a little bit differently because I included the some of the you know bad the loss the Louisville loss and the Florida State loss, which I think the day that our last podcast came out was like January thirteenth, but still impressive. We're eight and five over that that time frame in the ACC, which is an absolute bloodbath to play in, 4-1 and one over ranked opponents, which is unbelievable. Um, signature wins over Duke, UNC, UVA, and Clemson, and really a bad loss against Louisville at home. And then you went road wins against Notre Dame and BC. It, it's when I went back and looked at it and digested all of it to kind of come up with my commentary, it blew my hair back and what the team has been able to perform. And uh, when you're looking at it on, on a game by game basis, you, you, you forget sometimes to take a step back and, and see just how impressive this stretch has been. And to me, the difference has been the defense, the, the way we're defending, particularly denying the ball inside and just the guys just playing harder. Like th- there was something happened in that UNC game where they just decided or Buzz got them to decide in their heads, like, we're going to play really effing hard for the next 11 games. And that's exactly what they've done. And there's been a couple clunkers at home, like Miami yeah. most notably, and Duke on the road. 
the first time we played them, that wasn't very pretty. But just about every other game, we've been in it until the end over that span. And outlasting Duke was shades of the way we outlasted UVA. And me and you obviously haven't had a chance to talk about that game either. But to have the game won against UVA and then have it go to overtime, you think this thing is finished. Like there's no way we can beat UVA on the road when we had it and blew it. And now we're in overtime and they're going to win. And it really looked like they were going to win until Nikhil Alexander-Walker made that huge three. And then the Blackshear rebound at the end and putback was just one of the most impressive things I've seen from Tech basketball uh, in the last few years. I mean, just the effort to get that ball and put it back up. And that's what Clark did against Duke. They were very similar yes, games. Very similar endings. And it was it, it was incredible. We were, we were at a bar. I watched it with uh, Joe Lanza and my... Um, uh, his wife and uh, a UVA buddy of mine, and we're sitting in the bar. And as soon as it hit overtime, I said it's over. Right? I was like, that was our, that was our, because that's how that's how Virginia Tech basketball has been, right? Like they almost steal one from a really good team, but if it goes to overtime, it's like, nope, it's gone because the the better team's going to prevail because. Let's let's be honest, UVA is the better team. I mean, they are a very very good team. Um, and typically when you go to overtime, the better team ends up prevailing and you're trying to steal a game and for the team to pull it off into overtime when typically the better team ends up, you know, outlasting, um, was extremely impressive. And then Blackshear and the Clark finishes were very, um, you know, one was in overtime, one wasn't, but very reminiscent of it. That takes, you know, it takes brass balls to, you know, put, put those up in that kind of instance. And, um, just super impressed with how they played in both games. The difference between the two games, of course, was that in the UVA game, we had a nice lead in the first half. In fact, weren't we up by six? And against Duke, we were down by six at the half. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) let's be honest, throughout that whole Duke game, it did not feel like we were going to win. We we were down by 15 at one point, I think. And uh, no, I... I, I was watching it on my phone. I turned it off. I got pissed off. I went to the basement. I turned it back on. And it was, I, I had an entire emotional roller coaster watching that. And then I'm glad, obviously, that I ended up watching uh, it. But it was, it it did not feel good uh, that, that game. They were going to pull that out. No. And they had to battle back from not just 15 in the first half, but multiple nine point deficits in the second half. And they made two great runs. The first of which I thought was going to get us over the hump and take the lead. It never happened. And then once they took went, took it back to nine real, real quick, I really did think it was over. But we had one more run left in us. It, I just I couldn't believe we came back. And then to hold the lead for a total of one minute, and really when it counted and mattered, we held the lead for about four seconds in that game. And they were the last four seconds. Mm-hmm. How great was it to watch Grayson Allen's reaction after he misses the last shot? <laughs> I know. And um, and then there's one finer point I would put on, on your commentary, and that's um, J-Rob and what he was doing. I mean, he was out for, a, a, I wouldn't say good, but he was out for a lot of that game. In in two senses, one he was in the locker room for a while with, and then two, he when he came back, he I, I remember watching it with Nadine, and uh, I was I was telling her I was like I was like he's not moving the way that he usually moves, like he's fast, he's usually on point on the dribble, 
and you know he can drive and it it just didn't look like that you could tell he was kind of nursing something it looked a little wonky when he first came back but i will say that coast to coast that he took the ball that one play lays it up perfect finish at the rim and then comes down and does like the shimmy shake like that was that got me fired up yep and big shout out to Nikhil alexander walker again in the duke game because he led us with points he had 17 points he at one point had a 7-0 run uh, to get us back in the game in the first half. And over the last 10 games, he's shooting 49% from three. That's that is an amazing, like efficient percentage for a freshman. I mean, freshmen don't shoot typically. Like it takes guys a year or two. And I was looking at just overall field goal percentage. Alexander Walker's at 46.9, so about 47. Bibbs, his freshman year, was like at a 42 or like wow. 42 and a half. He is just going to be an efficient shooter for us for as long as we can keep him. Now, I don't think he's going to the NBA this year. I don't think anybody does. But he may have the chance to leave early at some point. Yeah. And I just want to hold on to him and hold on to Buzz for as long as I can because I love that kid, man. The Onions, to to take that shot against UVA and make it with the pump oh. fake. And, and, and to say that he had he did no doubt that he was going to make it is what he said afterwards. Oh, I know. It, I I just love that kid. And then just to lead us in scoring in a game against Duke at this point, you know, in the stretch run of the season when you got the tournament on the line, like man, he could be really really good for us. As you alluded to earlier, four ranked teams that we've beaten, never been done in Virginia Tech school history, and. There's a couple other like uh, really big things that we could accomplish if we could pull off this win against Miami. Uh, not the least of which would be you know finishing in the top four of the ACC and getting that double bye for the ACC tournament. And Miami but, just winning that game. I mean, Miami is playing really. Yeah, really they're a good team too. And that's that's another good point is that they just beat UNC on a buzzer beater, which that was a great game if anyone out there was watching it. But. Doesn't it help a little bit that we're both coming off big wins? You you always kind of want to play a team coming off a win rather than coming off a loss. Yep. And they went into Chapel Hill and won that game, which is really, really impressive. So both teams are coming off those big wins against the Tobacco Road Showdown that will happen this weekend because Duke and UNC are playing this weekend. And us in Miami, with what it can swing in the standings for the ACC, it's a big game. Yeah. I do think both teams are probably going to the tournament regardless the, the I should say the big tournament, not just the ACC tournament, but they're going to the dance. But for for that double buy and what it could mean in the ACC tournament, it's a big game, us against Miami. Uh, we could finish in the AP poll, potentially, if we win that game. I don't think that's ever happened in Virginia Tech basketball history, uh, just to finish the regular season ranked. And if we're currently projected as an eight seed for the NCAA tournament, if we win, it could get us off that dreaded 8-9 line where you have to play potentially the number 1 team if you win. Yeah, that um there's a lot on the line and it's um I think it, it, to summarize my thought, I think it's a testament to I mean, let's be Alexander Walker has played amazing, but different people continue to step up. I mean, you had Jay Robs what 32 point game that he just went off. Yeah, that was um, awesome. I think I think it's interesting, and that's not to say that necessarily from total scoring, but you had Clark with the game win, winner, you had Blackshear with the game winner, you have Naw that's really kind of underpinned what's happened in the last seven games. J-Rob's been going. I, a lot of people are stepping up, even when other people are playing flat. That said, 
this team is prone to really bad duds. And when it goes bad, it goes horribly bad. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, and really that's just pointing to the fact that, and usually that's the defense, I think, for, for them. And when, when, when Wilson came in, I think things changed. And I think that was, um, I think that was that was a, a big part of it. So I, I'm interested to see what happens in both the Miami game and the tournament, and see what this team's capable of. Because so far, it's just been fun basketball, and I, I I really love it. It has been fun, and so many guys are contributing. Like you said, I mean, even PJ Horn, he played more minutes than Clark the other night because he was having a good first half. They're getting it from everywhere, and guys are unselfish and willing to sit the bench and let other guys play. It's it's a Amazing culture that that uh, that Buzz has cultivated here in Blacksburg, and we we always kind of get on him about being weird when he answers questions and everything. But man, he can really coach. Do you want to do a quick beer break before we move over to some football stuff? Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. All right, buddy, what are you drinking? Um, so this is the. And I don't even know how to pronounce it. It was one of those uh, grab bags. I'm running around all over the place. Uh, the Lupinlin River. Uh, it was a beer festival winner from Knee Deep Brewing Company. It's out of California, I believe it's Placer County, California, and uh, it's an IPA. I decided uh, as a part of uh, my transition that I'm going to drink what I want, and I don't really care what you think. Uh, Imperial IPA, eight percent, has a mango flavor that uh, was added into it with some mosaic and simcoe hops it's i actually like it It, it's it it, there's nothing that stands out that's too it's not the fruitiness i guess of the the mango balances out a little bit with um the uh i guess the the, you know it being an imperial and it's just kind of a tropical flavor to it but i i like it's got a bright tropical kind of fruit pine to pine to it and it's delicious and i i like it a lot i would buy it again yeah, I'm doing a little bit of self-indulgence as well on my end. I'm having uh, a couple of like more dessert-type beers, I guess you'd say, tonight. And the first one is the Evil Genius New Phone Hootis. Evil Genius always has those funky uh, names to all their beers, but this one's a Caramel Macchiato Porter. And uh, when I was telling you that earlier, you said, I'm, I'm going basic, and it's it's so true. <laughs> Uh, it's really caramely and very sweet, but we're still just in that. This is the last day of February, just in that porter zone. You know, the stouts and the porters and the heavy dark beers. So I'm trying to get a couple in tonight before it becomes fruity IPA season, which which is uh, you've already got started on it, but it's it's coming fast. I do love a good fruit filled IPA and. And this spring, there should be a lot of new good ones out. So I'm excited about that. But the new Phone Hootis, extremely caramely. If you're looking for a dessert beer, it's it's really good. Evil Genius does a pretty good job with a lot of their beers. So I like this one. Not a not a uh, one you're going to have a lot, but very good. The new Phone Hootis Caramel Macchiato Porter. And I have to correct myself. So I said, it, it, I don't think this one actually has, the next beer I'm going to have has grapefruit in it. This one just said, and I was reading, going through it, tropical fruit pine forest is what it, 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 it it's trying to do. So um, I don't know that there's actually a lot of fruit in the beer, even though it tastes a little bit that way, but that's what they were going for. So before I get uh, 
before I get lambasted by you know, a bunch of people that know more than I do, then uh, I will uh, I'll correct myself. All right, let's do uh, uh, National Signing Day, and then we'll do maybe just a little bit of combine update and schedule breakdown for 2018. But we covered a little bit of the early signing period in a previous podcast, and then National Signing Day happened in early February, and as is the case most years for Virginia Tech, National Signing Day really isn't our day. We, we don't <laughs> typically have a lot of real high-end recruits that always wait till the last minute. That's Clemson and FSU and Miami and Georgia. That, that's their day. But yep. this year, we did have at least one guy that was very highly ranked and we had been chasing for about four years, and that's Dax Hollifield. The day didn't start off great only because we had a couple other guys in Anthony Grant and John... Baptiste that we were hoping to get. Neither one of them came to Tech. Not terribly surprising, though. I think the coaches thought they were going to get uh, Grant when they went to bed the night before signing day. Yep. And he ended up going to FSU. But we did get Dax. And we outlasted Dabo. We outlasted Stanford, UNC, uh, his home state team. 151st in the composite. 95th in the in-house rankings on 247. Uh, best recruit in the class, edging out uh, Trey Turner in the composite. So it was a really big get and a nice close for Bud Foster, who I know was working on him for a long time. And we got a cartwheel out of Bud Foster just because <laughs> of the uh, the recruitment. Um, inside linebacker, a very smart kid. Stanford only offer Stanford still applies its academic credentials to recruits coming in. That's why they say and they joke that Stanford's one of the hardest places to recruit for how talented that they are because, yeah, there might be a little bit of a grading system, but you got to be smart to, to go there. So obviously a very headsy guy to have that Stanford offer and then to be chasing him to the end. Uh, Clemson going after him. Uh, there was obviously a, a huge amount of mix-up, but Bud put a lot of work into that recruitment and he really... Um, is you know everybody's going to focus on him, but he really rounded out what might be one of our better linebacking, uh, you know, recruiting classes in a while uh, between uh, Tinsdale totally and Artis. It's so, and that's an area that I think we've had um, mixed success on bringing people in. I think we've had success only because of development, and it's not necessarily been because of recruiting the high end guys. Um, which is a testament to the defense and, 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 and to the coaches. So I think that's it's it's a really strong class at that position. He rounded it out, not even rounded it out. He you know took it to a whole nother level. Yeah, and when you add Hollifield, Artis, and uh, Tisdale to the guys we got last year in Rivers and Jalen Griffin and Ashby, we did have two guys come out, go out the door and Tremaine and Motu Puaka, but you can't help but be excited about the potential of the linebacking core. And that makes sense because, you know, our defensive coordinator is the linebackers coach, basically. Like, it would make sense that we have really good linebacker play. And we had it the last two years, probably. But it was it was a big gap in time where we were struggling to really have dominant linebacker play. So I'm excited about Dax. He's big, hulking guy, like heavy hitter. I was watching some of his high school tape and like he blows up the offensive lineman and then he'll blow up the running back like right afterwards. It's, yep. it's awesome. And I can't wait to see him on the field. I don't, I don't know about 
redshirt or not, it, it kind of depends on what happens. I mean, he's not coming in early, so that would lean you towards a redshirt, but he's big enough to play right now. He might be good enough. Uh, it, it really depends on what happens with Rivers and the other guys I named and like who's going to be you know starting at those middle and backer positions. So we'll yeah, just have I, to see. I always just kind of wait and see. You know, Most people thought Devin Hunter would be on the field even despite mm-hmm. our depth year one, and they, you know, we had enough depth and enough experience. The the fact is, you know, there is there's a lot to be said for taking some time on the sideline and reading plays and understanding why the defense is doing what they're doing and hearing, you know, having that discussion on the sideline and figuring out your your game and what you can can bring to it. That um, I'd love to see him take a year and really even iron out and and continue to bulk up. I mean, he can put. I think he can even put some more size on him, even though he's a, a relatively large guy. But uh, I thought the recruiting class overall now is, I think we're in, I think we filled some positions of need. I think we also may have some holes in some places so that uh, we might need to address here. I, in this I next would class. agree with that. Although let, let's, uh, let's just do the overall real quick. So in the 24 seven composite, we were 24th and 21st in their in-house rankings on Rivals, we were 22nd, and on ESPN, we were 22nd. So I think you know about where this recruiting class fell. Just inside the top 25, a slight step up from last year on pretty much all the services. And, uh, you know, I I thought we got a lot of great players in this. I, I mean, even some of the lesser guys, not all three stars are created equal, and I think that's what Fuente has done differently than the previous coaching staff is that all of these guys for the most part have multiple power five offers and that wasn't the case before. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I mean, you got cam good and fills a position of need, uh, defensive backs, at least as they're slotted with cross and Waller Webb, Connor, there's a lot of good things. I think, uh, I, I walk away extremely excited about the people that we got. Is, it would be my takeaway. I walk away still concerned about what our long-term solution is. Um, and I'm thinking down the road at offensive line, defensive line. I mean, that's um, that's going to be an area that we have to figure out how we're going to recruit. And granted, the offensive line this year um, was, was, was better. The defensive line obviously was great. But we lost Settle, um, and now it's up to Ricky Walker to really, you know, front run what is kind of a questionable line. And if I had to look a few years down the road or a year down the road, then that's going to start to become a question. And the question uh, I think will be answered during the 2019 recruiting class that we're starting to go after now. We talked about how good of a recruit Dax was, obviously. I think Trey Turner at wideout is clearly, you know, someone you're going to mention because he was so highly rated. He's the highest according to rivals and the second highest according to the composite. And to me, he looks like a six foot four version of Isaiah Ford. I mean, French said that in an article. I thought that before I even read it. And when I saw him say it, I'm like, yes, he reminds me of Isaiah Ford. He's just three inches taller. So that, <laughs> that's amazing. It, the problem is he he's coming off an injury. He's a little skinny. I could see Turner uh, redshirting even though he's uh, enrolled early. But I think you might agree with me that the most important recruit in this class 
is Quincy Patterson. By far. I mean, there it is. It is difficult to get to the Elite 11 in and of itself because the last person that we had do it was Tyrod. And to go there and have the commentary come across, come away from that, there's commentary that's in writing and there's commentary that I hear from stuff on SiriusXM and stuff that doesn't actually make it on to, to paper. And people walked away more impressed to the point that... Um, What's his name that runs Trent it? Dilfer. Trent Dilfer. Yeah, said that he actually, <laughs> he themed this next year's Elite 11 around the things that he learned about Quincy Patterson and the, like what he um, brought to the table from an intellectual standpoint, a mindset, those sorts of things, which, uh, I mean, I haven't heard anything like that <laughs> about a Virginia Tech player in a long time that the, it's people are structuring their overall recruiting uh, around a, a, a smart kid that um, you know wants to be an engineer, and and even beyond that. And the funny part is, is I don't even. I, it, it's one of those rare instances. I don't even care about the football. The fact that we can have a student on campus that's you know smart, wants to be an engineer, is part of the program, and wants to be you know a benefit to the school, is even more important to me than anything else. Um, that's that's about being an alumni. That's not even about you know the 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 aspects of football, which I think he could be exceptional at the crazy thing is with all the accolades and and pats on the back he got at elite 11 you know that's based on passing alone when you watch his tape he is a extremely gifted runner so when you put them together i think this is exactly the type of quarterback that's perfect for fuente's offense when you watch him run it's it's like a quicker version of gerard running those veers and rpos that's what it that's instantly what I thought of. And once he adds that passing element in in full with, you know, tutelage from Cornelson and Fuente, look out. I don't know. I You always want to hold back your hype, especially since we've already had a guy who started for a year. But it's going to be hard to keep Quincy Patterson off the field for an extended period of time. Probably this year, you know, it will probably, you know, have Josh Jackson as their starter. Anything can happen. It could be Hooker. It could be uh, Quincy Patterson. But come his redshirt freshman year, he is going to be competing for that starting job without a doubt. Yeah. And it's exciting. I mean, that's what you want is you want competition. I went back to 2002 on Rivals, and I was just looking at our average star rating per recruit. And we've been higher in terms of the class rankings in the past, but... All the way back to 2002, we've never had a recruiting class where each guy in the class was an average of 3.31 stars per recruit. So in a way, this is our highest and best recruiting class we've ever had at Tech, you know, in the modern era. I can't say about what came in with the Vic class because there was no rivals back then. Uh, And on the 247 composite, it was just behind the 2013 class in terms of uh, the average rating per player. That had Kendall in it, if you'll remember. That was a 2013. Teller, Bucky Hodges, Brandon Faison, pretty damn good class. And the second highest recruit in that class, actually, I'm not even sure you would be able to name off the top of your head because it like it hit me and I was like, oh my God, I forgot about that guy. Holland Fisher. Yeah, yeah. Holland Fisher, the guy that never was. <laughs> yeah, he never played. <laughs> yeah. 
I think uh, on the key play, people still ask about Holland Fisher and whether or not he's starting this year. <laughs> um, yeah. The crazy no. thing is, in that 2013 class, Kyle Chung and Braxton Pfaff were in that recruiting class. Oh, my gosh. And they're going to hopefully be starting for us this year on offensive line. I mean, that's a long time <laughs> to like, be yeah. you know, in college or whatever. Seven. I think Pfaff like, did a gray shirt. I can't remember what happened with Pfaff where he had an extra year. And Chung had some injury stuff which might get him a sixth year but it's well, pretty Stu, crazy Stu that- Mandel and uh Bruce Feldman on their podcast always joke around about the seventh year because there are <laughs> like I guess there's a way to get to the seventh year so they always joke, joke around about who you know who, who's the seventh year you know player this year if Faf went down with an ACL in fall camp he might be able to do a seventh year <laughs> yeah he gets, gets let's the, hope that's the medical happen. yeah um Anyway, was there anything else that stood out to you about the class? I think we covered pretty much everything. No, I think um, overall excited. Some people wanted to be in a you know top twenty. Listen, we as a program and sitting around. I go off of twenty four seven sports. You know, statistically, I think it's been proven out that they, you know, are one of the more accurate programs, if not the most accurate program out there that's rating recruits. And they had us at 21. So I'm not going to cry over spilled milk about missing two slots and then being number 19 when would have made everybody happy. And quite frankly, you know, we've turned more three stars into, you know, NFL prospects than most teams out there. So it doesn't, like it doesn't right really, um, it doesn't really bother me that we're, we're, we're at 21. In fact, I'm excited about it. French wrote uh, two good articles on some of the incoming recruits. And I think he's got more coming. He hasn't done DBs or uh, linebackers yet. And I'm looking forward to that linebacker piece. So you should check those out on the key play too. I I guess I did have one um, star next to Cole Beck, the kid from Blacksburg. Didn't he just like uh, go like lights out and in track? Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to say is that he won the indoor championships for 55 meter dash He's got speed to burn, man, and that is exciting. He could, he could be a jet sweep guy. He could be a speed back. I, I don't know what they're gonna do with him exactly, but you know, you can't, you can't coach speed. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad to have Cole back on our side. No, absolutely, and yeah, I mean, he's a local kid, so that makes it cool. And cool. you know, the fans are gonna get behind. People are already behind him. Everybody was pissed off that he didn't have, he didn't have an offer for a while. That everybody was up in arms, and um, so it's nice to see. Uh, that he's got some potential to deliver on what a lot of people thought, you know, a, a guy that should be within the program. Yeah. I read an article from the summer that said he was an ECU lean. I oh. was like, oh, oh, thank God. He's not at ECU. I'd much rather keep him for us. A Blacksburg <laughs> kid going to ECU is well, probably Well, he just didn't the have worst. the offers yet, I guess. Yeah. I mean, well, that, that would be so terrible. <laughs> Okay, let's. Uh, do you want to do schedule breakdown, beer break, or some combine stuff real quick? Yeah, let's do. Uh, let's do a beer break. So, what are you drinking over there, Pete? I'm having the Southern Tier Creme Brulee. <laughs> that's that's right. It's not just for moms anymore. <laughs> it's a ten percent alcohol beer, and it's an Imperial Milk Stout. But man, is it sweet and delicious. I mean, it's it's a little bit late. We got we had a late start to the podcast tonight and I'm having, you know, a little bit of dessert right before bed. Probably not wise. 
It's really sugary sweet, but man, it is. It's good. It's got like, what does this say? Dessert beer brew with vanilla beans. Very vanilla-y. So it's uh, it's good, man. Don't make fun of me too much. It's it's really tasty. You should. I got to get you a sip of this, man. It's good stuff. Can you milk me, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> you can milk anything. What are you uh, having over there? So I'm having the Trogues uh, first cut. IPA. Uh, uh, it's an ale brewed with mango, hence my confusion earlier when I botched that. Trogues <laughs> is out of uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's delicious. It's a really good IPA. Not too strong. The The citrus flavor is also not too strong. I know some people, you know, some of the pineapple IPAs and things like that, it, it you know, cuts a little bit too much. You're already dealing with, you know, overload of hops and then the citrus can be kind of overwhelming. But this is a little bit mild, more subdued and, and adds some flavor to it. It's uh, 6.2%, so it's not really over, you know, overly, well, I guess, I mean, it's high in comparison to some things, but unless you're drinking Bud Light, then it's probably right down your fairway. And uh, 45 IBUs in Comet, Simcoe hops, kind of, silky flavor which is what they were going for i like it it sounds good yeah i i i I, i'm actually um i'm pretty impressed i i i I like them as a brewery in general but this one is particularly good give me the name one more time yeah it's trogues yeah tr oh it's the first cut ipa okay I know I, I I tuned out because I was I was on a sugar high over here. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're you're eating dessert. Uh, so. I know, I know. I can't pay attention. You're All gonna right. fall asleep during the schedule here. Yeah, let's break down that 2018 football schedule. Uh, I'd say this sca- schedule came out about as favorably as it could, considering some of the opponents we have. Uh, the huge opener versus FSU obviously stands out. That is a very important game and will kind of dictate how the season goes win or lose. I feel like it's, it'll either raise expectations way higher than they should be, or it'll bum everybody out. It's going to be really interesting. I, I, what are your thoughts on, on just the the first half of the schedule? So taking the first half, I mean, we knew where Florida state was going to be. And and this is because the scheduling release happened since our last podcast, just so everybody's you know clear. We knew where Florida state was going to be. We knew where the, um, out of conference was going to be. So I'm going to ignore kind of William and Mary, East Carolina and old dominion, and then hit on Duke and Notre Dame. I think starting with Duke is nice. Um, especially since it's an early away game against an opponent that, um, uh, is you know Duke's down a little bit right now, and you know they were really down last year, but I think uh, they're going to recover a bit this year um, to get the away game with Duke and then Notre Dame uh, at home, which is going to be a massive game. Um, you know, I was looking at the I booked my you know uh, travel stuff. I know you just booked yours. Uh, it's filled up pretty quickly. That game is going to be exceptional. Notre Dame should be really good this year. I think that's a I think that's a good fit is get that away game against Duke, come back. I'd probably like to have Notre Dame before that and just kind of lead off with them and see what we can do, but uh, you can't really be mad about that. And then at North Carolina and then you got to buy, right? Where I like it in the middle of the season. 
Absolutely. I, I think that beginning of the schedule shapes up nicely. I mean, I don't think at ODU is going to be a cakewalk by any stretch. Um, ECU sucks now, so that's nice. And it's at home, so I'm not really too worried about that. At Duke, Cutcliffe, not appealing. But we should know better by the fifth game of the season whether we're going to get a good version of Duke or a mediocre version. But to get Notre Dame after two straightaway games, it, it's the crowd is going to be so amped for that game. I mean, it's never happened before in Blacksburg. We only played them the one time, and that was in their house. And we did end up coming away with a victory in a crazy game. And the good news is Notre Dame plays Stanford the week before they play us. And if you ever listen to the solid verbal, that's full body blow theory right there, man. That is that is some good stuff. UNC, obviously they weren't good last year. They're probably not going to be good this year. And then that bye right before Georgia Tech. I, I mean, you could not plan that bye week any better. Thursday night at home for us against Georgia Tech. I mean, that could be an epic, you know, Thursday nights are always have that epic feel to them in Blacksburg. But the fact that Georgia Tech's beaten us two years in a row and we're coming off a bye to prepare for the triple option, I mean, I cannot wait for that one. Yeah, I mean, it's perfect. And usually that Thursday night game is a short week. I mean, more often than not. And we avoid the short week because of the bye. And and that's one of the arguments that people... Most people, 95% of the people I talk to, love the Thursday night Virginia Tech games. They should because it's half the reason Virginia Tech is as well-known as it is because we played so many of them and became so well-known for it. It, But the the counter-to argument that some people use is that you end up with a short week, and we avoid that. So it's perfect. And it's a home game. uh, So there's going to be... Tons of time. Let's just say rest and you know um, mindset should be no factor coming out of that game, win or loss. It's whether we put it out on the field and we you know we take them down. Just a couple more notes on the uh, the last five games because that's that's how many games are after the bye. Four of them are at home. It is nice to finish the season with four out of your five games at home. The only away game is at Pitt. Not great. We don't like Pitt. And no matter how bad Pitt is, they're always feisty. So, you know, Heinz Field, we've only won there, I think, one time ever. So uh, so that's not great that we got to go on the road, period, to play them. But if you're going to do it, sandwich it between, you know, two and two home games. Miami, second to last week of the season, that is going to be huge. That game's massive. And we they did it. You can see where the ACC is starting to, to schedule to the benefit of you know the, the overall conference because it happened last year we talked about how big the Miami was gonna game was gonna be um, and the way that they scheduled it they're putting it in a place that they know these are the two teams that people want to see matched up at the end of the season it's starting to happen which um, I think is exciting for both programs would I love to see Miami? in that pit spot and pit in the Miami spot, because I think the win over Miami is going to be uh, or a win over Miami. I should say would be huge. Um, yeah, that would be great. But, uh, you know, what can you do? I think the schedule overall, there's the Friday night Virginia game. Some people don't like the Friday night. They want to see that moved, but that's almost, I think that's stuck. I think that's, I now, like the, I like the black Friday game against mm, Virginia. 
Yeah, I don't think that's moving. If anybody thinks that that's going away, I don't think that's the case. You're going to see that every year. So overall, the back half of the year, it, it it's shaping up to be excellent. And um, with a huge, potentially marquee game against Miami on that 17th of uh, November. Yeah, you're hoping that both teams come into that late November game ranked because that would be great for the Coastal, great for the ACC to see Miami and Virginia Tech in late November playing a ranked matchup. It would be sweet. And it hopefully will, you know, the Coastal will be on the line. That That's what we're hoping for. The Florida State opener, I, I want to go back to that just real quick because me and you are actually hoping to go to the game. That would be really fun. Um, but beyond that, what do you think our our odds are on that game. I, I don't want to pin you down to like a, any kind of prediction necessarily, yeah. but <clears throat> they've been, you know, they got a new coach. They've been 10 and 10 in their last 20 ACC games, which yeah. is shocking when you hear it. And they had a bad year last year. They have two quarterbacks right now. Blackman who played all of last year is apparently putting on some weight and they'll have Francois back after the ACL. So we don't, I mean, it'll probably be Francois. We don't really know who the starter is going to be. Fully new scheme on at least one or two sides of the ball. That game is is really strange. I don't know what to make of it right now. Yeah, I think we'll be favored um, in that game. Uh, I, if I had to guess, really? Yeah. Oh no, definitely. Uh, well, let's be honest. First of all, Willie Taggart's done a great job on the recruiting trail. I mean, coming in there, he's he's killing it. He's bringing yeah. in a ton of recruits. Uh, Francois was definitely pissed off when Jimbo walked out of town. Uh, he made it pretty clear on Twitter and otherwise that he was pretty upset about that that move. Um, I think that I, I I think the coaching transition may take a little bit of time to. I mean, it's at home though, so I go back and forth. I could see Virginia Tech with a returning quarterback, depending on what's happening with Francois. I could see us being favored by like three in that game is my my guess on a on a Vegas line it, that, that's what I would put it at uh quite honestly uh given the amount of returning you know talent that we have and returning quarterback and Josh Jackson's year I I, I think w- that's my guess is that we would be and granted the brand recognition pushes things into Florida State's favor so I'm saying how I think objectively about the game not being forget Virginia Tech, forget Florida State. If I was just looking at it, which I will be betting on that game, um, <laughs> I would say I would put it like three points to to Virginia Tech. Um, but you know the the brand recognition of Florida State will probably push it the other direction. Yeah, I would I would say that by the time uh, we get about a week out of that thing, Florida State would be two and a half three point favorites, um, but. Their offensive line struggled mightily last year. Even with the departure of Settle, we're going to have a pretty stout D-line, especially at the end positions with, with Gaines and Hill coming back. We could put a lot of pressure on whoever the quarterback is. It's it's going to be a fun game. And like I said it, when we started the schedule breakdowns, it's going to uh, the result of the game is going to have a big impact on how Tech fans view the rest of the season. Right, and I think that's also frightening because – that team sucked last year. Like they were bad. <laughs> that was not a good yes, team, they were. right? So you you don't just flip the switch and go from 
you don't make the you don't go from a bad team with a well tenured coach that's won a national championship to losing your coach and then getting a new one in and then all of a sudden you know just you know being lights out so I worry that if we do pull off that game expectations might be a little too high for our program um, if we squeak one out by you know a field goal or something along those lines if that makes sense oh it does it does. But they do have an overwhelming amount of talent, regardless oh. of how bad the team was last year. And if Taggart, you know, turns the right screws, that that thing could be on fire from day one. Yeah. We, we just don't know. That's fair, but so does Miami. And in fact, yeah. Miami's recruiting classes are Miami would they finish like top like four this year in their recruiting class? Um so is Miami, and we've managed to smack them around plenty of times as well. Uh, and granted, that was coaching that was coaching problems, but it remains to be seen. Taggart, I think, is an awesome coach. I think he's a great recruiter. I think he's going to do really well there. I just don't know if he's going to do really well this year. So that Day remains one. to be yeah. seen. First game. Understandable. So the last note uh, I had, and just the last thing I wanted to talk about, was the NFL Combine, and that's because... We have a lot of guys that were invited to the Combine. I think it was seven in total. Uh, the only senior that we think could get drafted that isn't going is Motua Puaka. But all the other guys, Teller, Cam, Settle, Tremaine, Stroman, Terrell, and Faison are all going. And <clears throat> it's kind of crazy how much Tremaine is fly- like it's flying up all the draft boards. If you look at... Daniel Jeremiah, most notably, has put him as the number three overall prospect in the draft. We were talking on our last podcast. We were hoping Tremaine goes first round. This guy's got him three overall. That doesn't mean he's going to go there or even go in the top five. But wow is all I can say about that. Yeah, I think this is a classic instance. And this isn't, I'll tread lightly here in the sense of, that the draft in some respects is two things. It's what you've done, but also what a lot of coaches think they can do with you and what your you know your capabilities are, your size, your speed. And I, I think that the top end of what Tremaine could do is incredible, right? I, I think that's what NFL you know people and scouts are seeing right now is this guy is... He's quick. He's extremely fast sideline to sideline. He uh, is extremely physical. He can get into the backfields. You know, I can turn this guy into even you know more than what he already has been, which has been you know incredible in and of itself. Um, there's other people, and I'll give an example of Isaiah Ford. So Ford was an incredible wide receiver. His stats were off the charts, but people looked at him and they're like, "Well, what am I going to do with this, you know, this guy?" And that's why he, you know, fell so far. So um, in the combine, I've always looked at it as, "What's your upside potential?" That's why I always said, and I, we talked about this recently. Kendall Fuller falling to the third round was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in the NFL in a long time. And guess what? I happen to be right because I have, I have 10 tweets the day of the draft when I watch him go off the board saying that's dumb. And now pro football focus is saying he's like one of the top cornerbacks, really one of the defensive backs in the country um, because his upside was just was really unlimited in, in what he could do. And so I think... Um, 
I'm excited for him. I think I think he could be really great if he gets into the right program. And he has flown up the draft boards, but I, I don't think it's because people are 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 looking at his stats and things like that. I think people are looking forward to man, what could we use this guy for? Exactly, and he is so young, so that upside potential is through the roof. Uh, he's got to be one of the youngest players in the draft period. So it's uh it's pretty exciting for him and another guy. That's been going up is Tim Settle. I, I listened to our last podcast uh, before we started today, and we were talking about like we think Settle will get drafted, maybe not. Like we're not sure. He's going in second rounds in the mock drafts, and at the end of the first round in a mock draft that I saw. So it's awesome for Tremaine and Settle. They both decided to leave early, and the fact that last year. The three guys that left early didn't maybe go so well for them that it's looking like it might go much better for Settle and Tremaine. Yeah, and I I hope I hope that it does. I mean, I'm I'm excited for them. I think Settle was one of those that was a little different than Edmonds, right? I think it's, people went back and once the buzz started getting got created, they went back and watched film, and everybody was like, "Oh, damn! How did we miss that guy?" Um, and, you know, it, depending on who you talk to, um, you know, some people will say that, you know, some of that space and some of that movement and what he can do was also created by the guy that he had standing next to him, uh, who's also excellent. But I, I think when people went back and started watching film, I think the film on him and seeing the power and what he could do, um, that actually, as opposed to what uh, I was saying about Tremaine, that's what started to drive things for him and his stock as more more teams started to pay attention to it. So I have the combine schedule in front of me, and the O-linemen are first. So if you want to see Wyatt Teller run the 40, that's going to be on Friday. Uh, but if you want to see Tim Settle run the 40, which I think is real must-see TV, <laughs> that's going to happen on Sunday. So yeah. stay glued to the NFL Network Um, But really, we have so many prospects that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you're going to see our guys every single day. You're going to see a tech guy going through on-field drills. So that's pretty cool. Um, The last day in particular, which is uh, Monday, March 5th, Stroman, Terrell Edmonds, and Brandon Faison will all be in that same group of uh, DBs and will all be doing their drills that day. So. And I think the day before is Settle and Tremaine on Sunday. So it, it's cool. It's just cool to have this many guys that will be uh, you know, eligible for the draft. And hopefully we can put a lot more Hokies in the NFL. Because when you go out to recruit, it makes it that much easier to say, we have X amount of players in the NFL. We put two guys in your position in the NFL. And come this upcoming fall, we might be able to say that about seven to eight more guys. Yeah, my only surprise out of everything... Um was I thought Teller would have moved up more. Uh, after the senior day, he was getting a lot of focus uh, in terms of just his strength and the oh, power. Oh, the senior bowl? Or, yeah. Sorry, the senior bowl. Uh, in terms of, he seemed to be getting a lot, and I don't know that it did that much for his draft stock. And um, you know, It's uh, hard I've, with the offensive lineman, because it's not, when, you, when you're a guard, that's not a sexy, like, pre-draft position people always want to talk about defensive ends and corners and like the hot linebacker but like who no one wants to talk about a guard but that doesn't mean that teller's not going to go in the second round yeah yeah uh no i i I just think he 
I, I think he equates really well to the NFL in terms of his skill set and his physicality and not backing down. That I, I'm, I'm hoping he gets drafted in the right place and uh, as high, you know, as high as possible because he, uh, I think he could be, you know, excellent just with how just physical he can be, and, and that's what you have to be in the NFL. I mean, that's what changes, you know, a, a college offensive lineman to an NFL offensive lineman is just that that raw kind of just physical nature. All right, man. I think we covered all the topics we are going to do today. Obviously we've got a big basketball game against Miami on Saturday. I think that's at noon. And then the ACC tournament starts. What is it? Tuesday. Yeah. We won't be on, we won't be playing on Tuesday. Thank God. (laughs) But, um, yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, uh, I'm excited for the end of this basketball season. If we somehow get this Miami game on the road, it's not going to be easy. But if we get it and finish with that double bye, oh boy, what a season it will be. Even if we don't, we should still be NCAA tournament bound, regardless of what happens in the ACC tournament. And we should probably do a podcast after the ACC tournament to recap what happened and, and preview our opponent for uh, for the big dance. Yeah, as long as it's not Wisconsin again. <laughs> yeah they fell off man they're not even you know on the bubble they're well, nebraska they're nebraska is like making them look like a joke which is kind of funny that, that everything just yeah it's crazy hurt. but i feel um, like wisconsin's made the last 10 tournaments and the year after they beat us and beat villanova they're not even in it i know it'll be interesting so um Hopefully, we, and, and, and I don't think there's anywhere that I've seen that we end up on the same side as UVA, so that's that's probably a good thing. Cause, uh, that would be interesting if we ended up in their bracket. That yeah. would be pretty wild. I, I haven't seen any mock, mock uh, you know, brackets that have us on their, on their side, so I think we're, we're in their quadrant, so I think we're good. All right, well, you can always hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. 2dvt at gmail.com and you can stream all of our episodes and check all the beers we've had on our website 2dvt.com and until next time go Hokies <laughs>